0: We welcome you. Uh, I see a number of fresh faces today, new faces, so welcome to our service. Uh, Salem Baptist Church is a church about finding and pursuing life in Jesus. Now, I do need to make an announcement, and that announcement is part of today's message. Uh, next Sunday, oh, next Sunday, it's the Sunday we look forward to all year long. Here comes the public service announcement. Turn your clocks back. Remember to move those clocks back. What does that mean? An extra hour of sleep. Someone says it this way, you gain an hour next Sunday, and now you have been told. And and of course, it's the spring one that's the bad one, because if you don't spring for you show up late for everything. But next Sunday, if you don't fall back, you'll be here waiting. Where's everybody at? So, fall back, get the extra hour of sleep, and then be here for a great service. Now, I like to take these kind of things that show up on the calendar and make messages out of them. So today's message starts with Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 6. And if you have the handout, if you don't have the handout, one of our ushers can get them for you. But, if, but the handout says, a time to gain, a time to lose. And so in the in, in spring, many times I've done a message, how to be a great loser. That's really exciting, isn't it? But there are things to lose, things you need to get out of your life. Well, today, things to gain. Things that, as you think about getting that extra hour, what are some things that you should be gaining? A time to gain, maybe a different word, a time to increase. How are you increasing? How are you improving? How are you growing? Uh, I go to a conference, uh, and a well-known speaker sh- starts the message with, How have you changed lately? He didn't say, How have you changed, but how have you changed Lately, And that challenge of lately, we come to a late Sunday, we're we're, we're falling back, we're getting that extra hour, it's a good time to evaluate, Jeff, how am I doing? What what am I gaining? What am I growing? How am I growing? How am I increasing? Now, when I use this word, increasing, I want you to know I'm using a very biblical word. The apostle Paul used this word, increasing, abounding. And we'll see that word in just a moment from the passage we're going to go to. But as Paul writes, he writes to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. And may the Lord make you increased and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. How's your love increasing for others? In Colossians, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about growing in our knowledge of God. Are you increasing in your knowledge of God? In Philippians chapter 1, Paul will say that that your love will keep growing in knowledge and all kinds of discernment. In Romans chapter 15, he will say that your love, hope would abound. And and, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says that your generosity would abound. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says that you would abound in every good work, that you'd be increasing in good works. Over and over, we see this word abounding, increasing. Even the apostles said, Lord, increase my faith. So on this last day of October, knowing next week we're going to be gaining, increasing an hour, I'm asking you, how are you growing? How are you increasing? Is there a, a, a way to look at your life right now that you would say, I, I've increased in my love for others, my knowledge of God for others, my discernment, I, I've increased my hope, I've increased my generosity, I've increased in good works. How are you increasing? That's my question. Now, there is a great Bible passage that speaks about increasing. And that Bible passage is 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you have your notes, I put it there for you. Peter is going to write to these believers who are going to be dealing with a lot of false prophets, false teaching. But as he introduces his book, he talks about our precious Faith, And then he tells us there's things we need to add to our faith. So let's dive in and look at what Peter has to say. Starting at verse 1, he writes, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, "...with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, our precious faith." I don't know what word you put with your faith, but Peter used the word precious. "...grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, as His divine power has given to us all things." that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Peter likes that word precious. He says, we've been given these precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's 2 Corinthians five seventeen. You and I get saved. We become a new creation. The Spirit of God lives in us. Christ is in us. We have a brand new nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. Verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, increase, You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, verse 8 sets the tone. Verse 9, twice we're seeing these two words, these things, these things. These things are referring back to five through seven. Those seven words, those seven areas, those seven, I'm going to call them this morning, qualities. Seven qualities of our faith. And, and we need to have these things in our life so that we are not, unfruitful. As believers, Jesus wants us to be fruitful. We ask the question, why am I still here? Because he has a work for us and he is expecting us to be fruitful. He he wants us as his disciples to be fruitful That's a word, again, this time of the year. You look to see how the crops have been. You look at your life. Are you fruitful with your life? Well, if these things are in your life, you're going to be fruitful. If they're not in your life, then we're not going to see fruit coming from your life. These are things that need to be in our lives. These are the things that I'm saying today we need to be gaining. Using that terminology. So today's message, a time for gaining. A, a time to be adding some things to your life. Some, time, uh, some things that we, we ought to be improving to increase our impact for the Lord. So, today we look at seven different things. That's what it's called, these things. Seven areas to be adding to our lives. Now, Before I dive into the seven, it is interesting how Peter set this up. First off, he tells us about an effort that is demanded to make this happen. This isn't just going to happen by accident. You're going to have to take action to make this happen, and it's going to call for a big, in some ways difficult, commitment. You can't just go and be lax about your spiritual growth developing. You've got to be very intentional, giving all diligence. The idea will be you're going to be full of zeal. I have to get this done. Um, I I think about Brandon with playing baseball. There's a component of on the field, but before you're on the field, there's the things you have to do in practice— to, to get to the level you need to be in the game. So, so, you've got to be diligent in the practice. You've got to have zeal and passion. I've got to get this done fully focused, fully engaged. Peter says, I want you to give all diligence to doing this. Don't be lax when it comes to this. And then he says, there's an action— that has to be performed. And that action's a three-letter word in the New King James, and the King James, Add, add. Some of you may see in an ESV or other versions the word supply. Well, what does he mean when he says we've got a add? Well, it's a really interesting Greek word. I won't break it up, but in the middle of that Greek word, we get an English word, called choir. Choir. And the word here literally means choir master. One who is a choir master. Andrea is a choir master. She puts together plays. She has to get the things that are necessary. Now this Greek word Peter pulls out to say You've got to have a mindset when it comes to your faith of supplying everything that is necessary so that your faith will be at its best. When a choir master is putting together the, the elements, the ingredients for their play, they don't want to spare any expenses. They want to get the best when it comes to those that will sing. They want to get the best when it comes to those who will be in the orchestra. They want to get the very best for those that will be doing the acting. They're going to go out—and the Word has the idea here of being extravagant—you are going to be diligent to want to get these things in your life sparing no expense because you want your faith to be at the very best. You want your faith to be on display, not in here, but in the world where you are working, where you are living, and you want it to be the very best. So he says, I want you to be very diligent, and I want you to add, like a choir master, the very best elements. Sparing no expenses to make your faith the best it can be. Now, what do we need to add? What are the qualities that, that are desired? And I'm going to use this phrase now, that the Holy Spirit wants you to have. Peter's going to write them down, but this is coming from the Holy Spirit. Inspired of God, he says, I want you to add virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. I highlighted it in green because that speaks of growing. These are those areas of gaining. You want these in your life. Now, let's break them down. We're going to add to our faith. We're going to supply our faith with virtue. Virtue. What comes to mind when you hear the word Virtue. If someone has virtue, does not the word pure come to mind? Does not the word virtuous woman come to mind? Proverbs 31 speaks of this faithful, dedicated woman. Virtuous. That which is Excellent. Matter of fact, the Greek word has the idea of moral excellence, that, that you are going to make right decisions so that others will see a purity, others will see a see, integrity, that you are who you say you are. Um, Dive into the Greek language. The word has a component of being heroic. It's used for people who, who do heroic things. And the idea is when those difficult choices come of doing right or wrong, going in the face of culture, going against the crowd, you choose to do what is right. And then your testimony begins to be developed and it's shared. And it's like, man, there, there goes one of my heroes. When you choose to do what is right, when the whole world is doing wrong, like Daniel, like Ruth, all of a sudden, you're a hero to us. So, the idea here is when you're virtuous, you're doing heroic actions for your character. And folks, character does matter. Character counts. And we're to have the character of Christ. Um, The apostle Paul prayed in Philippians that we would approve the things that are—there's that word— Excellent. Excellent. As we're having to make decisions, we're going to choose to make decisions that bring about the fact that we are who we say we are. They're excellent choices because we chose that which is right. Now, I sum this up by saying moral excellence is making the right choices so I can be who I was designed to be by God. Who's God designed you to be? Christ like. And you're going to make tough decisions, tough decisions that in the face of a culture, in the face of a crowd, you're going to say, I'm going to do what is right. When I think of people of integrity, I look at the Bible. It's it's not complicated, it's real easy. You you got Old Testament Joseph, you got New Testament Joseph, you got Daniel. In the face of a culture, he's, I'm doing what's right. Ruth, Boaz comes along and he says, Ruth, I just want to tell you something. My whole town knows that you're a virtuous woman. Wow. My whole town knows. She's described with virtue. Job was a righteous man. He was a virtuous man. So here's people who made the right choice, no matter what the crowd was saying, no matter what the culture was saying, we're going to do what is right. Peter says, add this to your faith that you've got Christ-like character. You do what's right in the sight of God. Now, he says, add to your virtue, add to faith, knowledge. Why do you need knowledge? You need knowledge so you'll know what's right. You'll know what's wrong. So now here's where, again, we've got to do the diligent work. We've got to learn what the truth is. We've got to learn what's in this book. I've said this before. When I look at God's Word, it tells me uh, uh, what is right. It tells me what is wrong. It tells me how to get right. It tells me how to stay right. I'm going to learn what to believe. I'm going to learn how to behave. I'm going to come to His Word and He's going to show me, He's going to teach me His expectations for my life. Now, I've got to add this. I've got to learn the facts. I've got to learn the truth. 2023, in our nation, think about the history of this great country all the way back to 1607. Think about the history of how from the very beginning there was incorporated into the daily lives the learning of biblical truth. You go to Jamestown, they were having church every day. The pilgrims, teaching truth. Puritans, teaching truth. All the way up, we're learning truth. Why do we have school? To teach the Bible, so you can learn truth. We just did a study not long ago for you that are visiting on the book of Romans. And when you open up Romans, you find that there's a whole group of people that have suppressed the truth. And that's one way I would describe our nation right now. We have people who are suppressing the truth. They don't want to live the truth, so they suppress it. And then you read what happens in Romans 1, and you start looking at our country, and you go, no wonder we're in the mess we're in. People are suppressing the truth. But, oh, friends, here's where it's getting really scary in 2023. We now have people who don't know the truth. They're not suppressing the truth. They don't know the truth. They're not being taught by parents because the parents don't know. They're not being taught in some churches because churches have way gone away from the word. They're not being taught it in school Uh, uh, unless it's a school like, oh, let me give an advertisement, my friend, for Salem Baptist Christian School, where I know firsthand that in those classes, they're being taught the truth, Miss Allison, they're being taught Scripture to memorize, Miss Jennings. They're learning the truth. Now, if you've watched the news the past few weeks with what's happened in Israel, you're hearing a whole lot of things. If you've seen some news stories about some people and how they acted toward innocent victims, it's frightening. When you think about not knowing the Ten Commandments, Just think about this for a moment. Okay, the first four are dealing with God, but the the last six deal with us. Well, just think about, they they don't know that you don't steal. They don't know that you don't kill. They don't know that you don't lie. They don't know that you don't commit adultery. We've got a generation that's growing up right now, they're not suppressing the truth, they don't know the truth. And Peter comes along and says, you've got to know You've got to give yourself to growing in knowledge to know the truth so you can practice the truth. Not everything is okay. There is a right and there is a wrong. And I just want to get and say I am so thankful for Salem Baptist Christian School because there is a place young people can come to and be taught by godly teachers and learn what the Word of God says. They may not live it, but at least they'll learn it. And then you pray that at some point they will apply it. But we've got to have places. We need thousands of Salem Baptist Christian schools because we've got a generation that's growing up right now that I'm going to say my word one more time. It is frightening that they don't Know what the truth is. All right, I've preached enough here. Let me move forward. We're going to add not only to our knowledge, we're going to add self-control. Self-control. When you see that word, what does it mean? It means holding oneself in. The first person you lead is you. You. The first person you lead is you. When we look at uh, Paul, this great apostle, he himself understood he had to have self-discipline. He writes to the Corinthians, but I discipline my body and bring it into sub- subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. This man disciplined himself so he would not be disciplined. Are you disciplining yourself? Do you have a control of yourself? To be disciplined is to refuse the false pleasures of life. You know, some great verses in Proverbs about self discipline. Proverbs 16 32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Yesterday, I had the privilege of speaking to some of the football team at Guilford College. And uh, the coach was there, several other people were there with the team, and then a lot of the players were there. After I finished speaking, the coach, we were having a little conversation. He said, I, I just, he said, something you said about uh, having, having to deal with people, players who, who don't do what they're supposed to do. They, 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 they're not disciplined. He said, I had to bench a player. He's got talent. He's got abilities. But he's not under self-control. He, he'll block, but then he'll get a little upset. And next thing I know, he's hit a person. And, and he, we got a penalty for, for, for um, personal foul. And we lose 15 yards. And I said, well, coach, let me, let me give you a verse to work with him on. Proverbs chapter 25:28 uh, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. What a picture. When we don't control ourselves, we're opening ourselves up to all kinds of enemies to walk right in and destroy us. Do you have self-control? Do you have that ability to say I'm going disab- to I'm not doing that? I'm not giving in to that. I will not. I've got the Holy Spirit living. Holy Spirit, help me. I'm praying, Lord, lead me. Not into temptation. Self-control has to be part of who we are. Peter says, add that to your faith. And then he says this. Add to your faith or supply your faith with perseverance, with, oh, the big E word, <laughs> Endurance endurance. And when we think of endurance, to endure, yes, it it sounds hard. It sounds difficult. And it is. We find it, the Apostle Paul, we find it Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so so easily clings to us, and let us run with… Endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, I, I, I do believe that uh, in my days of being involved with sports, that there's a component of excitement. You get, you get excited about the game. There's enthusiasm. But ultimately, the teams that win are not the teams that were the most excited or the most enthusiastic it's the ones who learn how to endure the most difficulties. They're the ones who endure. They're the ones who win. Those who endure. Now, we're going to dive in real deep right now on what a, this Greek word means to endure. It is the spiritual staying power that will die before it gives in. It is the spiritual staying power that will die before it gives in. We're coming up, Pastor Rick, on the celebration of the beginning of the Reformation, Martin Luther, and through those days, the persecution that would come. We are a people that are that, that that's filled with a line of people who have suffered for the Lord. It goes back. One of the earliest ones, Pastor Rick, would be Polycarp. Polycarp, bishop of Smyrna. And they said to him, "Look, you have got to say Caesar is Lord. You've got to say Caesar's Lord." You just, listen, Polycarp, you've been such a wonderful man here. You've done so much, for but listen, just renounce Christ. And Polycarp said, 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Bring forth what thou wilt. And they burned him at the stake. And then he didn't catch fire. And he threw a spear through him. He stood for the faith. He died for the faith. He endured. That's this word to endure. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. You know, when you look at these two words here uh, self control. I put it in your notes. With self-control, I do not give in to the false pleasures of life. With perseverance, I do not give up, even when the pressure seems to be overwhelming. Do you give in easily to temptation? Do you give up easily when facing trials? Peter is saying, put these things in your life. You need to have self-control. You need to have endurance. And then he says this, add to your faith godliness, godliness. Now, godliness, it sounds pretty easy to define to be like God. Godly is to be like God. But it's interesting, the word takes on a deeper meaning. It literally means to worship well. One who is godly, one who is having godliness, is one who is worshiping well. It means that their mind is filled with thoughts of God, they're mindful of God and when you're mindful of God you begin to realize God is mindful of you and others David says what is man that you are mindful of him when a person's mind is set on God They begin to think about others because God thinks about others. Now, it is easy in this room to think about God, is it not? You're around fellow believers. And this morning, you can have spiritual conversation. You may share prayer requests. You may talk about your testimony. But this idea of godliness is not a one-hour Sunday morning virtue quality. Your faith really shows up when you're at work when you're on the ball field, when you're around family and in the neighborhood, your faith is now showing up. And because you are filled with the thoughts of God, God is on your mind, God thinking, now you'll make decisions. What would God do here? And all of a sudden, because you're around somebody who now says, let's just cheat in the business world. Uh, no, we can't do that. Let's just curse. No, I can't do that. Let's tell dirty jokes. No, can't do that. Because godliness is in your life when you're not in the church. You're adding godliness to your life so that others are now seeing who God is. Words far more richer than just being godly. Far more richer. You are worshiping well, and worshiping well is when you worship 24-7. Do not leave a church place thinking my worship is now over. That's what I want to convey to you. It's really just beginning when you walk out the door. Your sent. is more than just a phrase. You're taking your Christianity to a world. And now watch again. As I'm thinking on God, I'm mindful of God. Watch what he tells us. Add brotherly kind, brotherly affection. Add brotherly affection. Start looking out for your brother. Start looking out for their needs. Start doing things for those who have a variety of needs. You want to be the one who's meeting them. Now, as we're going to meet those needs, he says, add love. And I went quickly to that one because I want to say this. How do you picture... Simon Peter. What kind of man do you picture Simon Peter to be? Now we have some pictures. (laughs) I don't, and no clue whether they're correct or not, but I'm just telling you, this is kind of how I think of Simon Peter. He's a fisherman, right? I I think of him being one of those those fishermen from up north, uh, up in Boston. And he's a a big old burly man, and he's rough, and he's tough. Long before Christianity for me, my being a Christian and being a preacher, I I worked with my father at a a stockyard, and there were some man's, I mean man's man, I mean men of men that came to that stockyard, bigger than life. And they, they knew how to smoke a cigar, and they knew how to, how to curse. They were tough. They were rough. I worked in a slaughterhouse. I worked around some tough men. I, I think Peter was a tough old man. I mean, he did kind of lose it there. Uh, when, when They ask him if he was a follower of Jesus. It says he cursed. Kind of lost it there. Yet, yet, look now, look, look. As his faith is developing, I just think this is, I don't know, maybe I'm not connecting, but I just think it's amazing that Peter uses the word precious. He uses the word brotherly affection. He uses the word love. He's being transformed. The rough, tough old fisherman is now saying, here's what we need in our lives, where we are looking out for others. The rough, tough man, he ain't looking out for others, he's looking out for himself. But Peter says, we got to look out for others. And then here comes this word, love, the, the word for brotherly affection, Philadelphia. Boy, that's a city not living up to its name. They're just they're they're the rough and tough. They, they need to become more brotherly affected, uh, have brotherly affection. But the word love is agape. And you know what that word means, right? Sacrificial love. It's a love that it's a love that will do anything for you. It is a love that will do anything for you. And I apologize for telling you the, the phrase again, but I keep having to come back to it for myself personally. The time a person needs love the most is when they deserve it the least. And the reason this is the last one is because now there's nothing left because, as Paul said, love never fails and so you and I have to get love in our lives, and all these are built to get us to that place where we're going to love people the way Christ loved us. And when did he love us? When we were at our worst. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. At our worst, he sent for us to Perish. But God demonstrated his love toward us and while we were yet yet saints, VW, he doesn't say saints, does it? When we were sinners, that horrible word, when we were separated from God, he loved us. And now Peter says, I want you to show that kind of love to others. Now, what are the benefits that come from this? What are the benefits, the bountiful benefits from this? He says, if you'll do these things and you abound... You gain, you increase, you're not going to be barren or unfruitful. In other words, you're going to be bringing forth fruit. So now I got to look at these things and I got to ask the question, am I bringing these things into my life? Check the list. It's a great checklist. Are these things becoming more real in your life? Are people seeing virtue? Character, moral excellence? Are they seeing that you have a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, and you make the choice to do what is right? Is there self-control? You're growing in that way, like Paul, to say, I discipline myself. I'm leading myself. I'm going to do what's right. Perseverance. Doesn't matter how much I'm tempted. It doesn't matter how much I face. I'm not giving up. I'm following Jesus no matter what. Is there godliness where you are thinking on God all the time and you make decisions now that are based on his mind because he fills your mind? Is there brotherly affection where now you are reaching out to meet the needs of others? You care about others, and you care about them so much you love them even when they're at their worst. How are you increasing? you got a great checklist to take and look at this week. Yes, every point I gave you today could be a sermon on its own. You've got the, the quick overview. But every one of those words Peter's saying needs to be a part of your testimony. As I wrap up, we'll have inventory time. But I also believe this morning I should also say if you were to die right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I I don't know if some of you, this will go over your head, but I have a feeling a lot of you last night may have had the same kind of moment I had when all of a sudden, the news broke that Matthew Perry, who had starred in Friends, was dead, 54 years of age. And immediately, I see this, and I looked at the, I said, Matthew Perry just died. And then it comes on the TV, breaking news. This man that's, for so many is known because of that character that he played in Friends. He's dead. A friend of mine said, as soon as you see they've died, you gotta have that question, did they just stay in heaven? Or did they end up in hell? I don't know his testimony. But I'm asking you this morning, if you were to die right now, just like Matthew Perry, now we find out there was an accident, swimming accident, took his life. If you were to die right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? As I told the Carolina University a few weeks ago, at 20 years of age, I did not know. I did not know. I could not say I knew I was going to heaven. I said, I hoped I'd go to heaven. But I didn't know I was going to heaven. But on February the 15th, 1983, when I asked the Lord Jesus Christ that that he would save me based on his word, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, God, I don't understand it. All I know is I know I'm a sinner and I know you're a savior. I know that you died and that your son rose again and today you're offering me the gift of eternal life. And if I call on you, If I believe, if I trust you'll save me, I'm doing the best I can, Lord Jesus, save me. If you're watching online and you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you're in here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, right now is the time from your heart to his heart to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Do not leave this place. Do not turn off that computer, that device you're watching this message on, without saying, Lord Jesus, save me. Man is appointed once to die. And then comes the judgment. Is that not biblical? Hebrews 9, 27. And that death will come unexpectedly. So I best be ready to meet God face to face. So this morning, as a believer, increase. Become more than you are. Improve that you can make a greater impact for Him. Add these qualities to your faith. And if you're not a believer today, you have an opportunity, as I pray, to ask the Lord Jesus to save you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You didn't just save us to stay the way we were. You saved us so that we can become like your son and be vessels in your hand to impact the world. I pray, Father, that we will gain these things. We will grow in these things. We will increase in these things you will see a group of people improving. And Father, I do pray, if there's someone listening, someone here in this audience, someone online, if right now they don't know you as Savior, they would say from from their heart to your heart, Lord Jesus, save me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm just curious, is there anyone here right now that you would say, Pastor Dwayne, I just did that. I just asked the Lord Jesus to save me. Would you slip your hand up? We don't usually do this, but this morning, I'm just, I just want to give you that opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be saved, and I want someone to know about it. Would you just slip your hand up if you've asked the Lord to save you? And Fathers, we continue now, and we worship, and we sing a song about you building our lives. May we... Put 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 7 into action. Build our lives that we might be fruitful vessels for you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.